studying the book of Philippians together, and we'll finish it this morning. If you're with us and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle right now. They get a Bible into your hands, and if you don't own a Bible, then please make that Bible a gift to you uh, this morning. Reminder that on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, this is kind of a two for Sunday. We'll be finishing the book of John tonight, and uh, each of you are invited, six o'clock this evening, and then... Um, our tradition for finishing a book on Sunday nights. We'll enjoy that tonight, too. It's quite incredible. Um, (laughs) We'll be studying and picking things up in verse 14, but uh, to pick up the context, let's begin with where we began last week in verse 10. Paul writes, by the Holy Spirit, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then this morning, nevertheless you have done well that uh, you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I speak, uh, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable service, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then a typical conclusion to a letter by the Apostle Paul. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the commitment that you have made in our lives as your children to conform us into the image of your Son in order that we might experience the fullness of joy that you intend us to experience and the fullness of freedom, Lord, that you desire for our lives as well. We pray that you would take this passage we'll study this morning and that you would use us to bring us further into his life and to those great blessings that come with it. We pray for this work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we noted last week, the Apostle Paul here now in earnest is concluding his letter to the church at Philippi, and uh, he does so by returning to a subject that he had broached at the beginning of the letter in chapter one, and one of the three main reasons that he writes the letter was just simply as a thank you note to them for 
a financial gift that they had sent to him by the hands of one of the people, men that attended the church there in Philippi, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And so he wanted to thank them as he was, was at that time uh, unfairly in Roman uh, custody and uh, they had look at, looked after him financially and materially in that situation. In thanking them, Paul, as he thanks them from verse 10 all the way to the end, it's interesting that as he's thanking them, he, he finds it necessary, of course the Holy Spirit's involved, he finds it necessary uh, and, and in a very edifying way toward us, he, he expands his consideration to two great areas of the Christian life. And in verses 10 through 13, uh, he introduces the subject of contentment, the joy of contentment, as we examined last week. And then in verses 14 through 19, he enlarges into the subject of generosity, uh, the joy of generosity. And it isn't accidental that that is the order that he takes here. First to contentment within our lives and the blessings and the joy of that, and then to enter into the joy and the blessings of, uh, of generosity. And uh, because the necessity that for that order to occur or generosity to find expression in our lives, it's going to require contentment uh, to begin with a shunning of the material covetousness and selfishness that is in our own lives, but also uh, dominates the culture that we're in, and, uh, and then uh, to, to then be able to experience the joy of giving or generosity. The two themes, uh, contentment and generosity, are completely intertwined within uh, the passage and the reason that they're intertwined in the passage is because they're completely intertwined um, in life. It's only as we experience contentment in our lives to be content with God's will for my life and with the daily necessities of life that we will then have uh, financial resources left over to, with which to be generous. Without contentment with what God tells me to be content with in the scriptures, we'll be tempted, uh, at least I will be, to spend every bit of money or every bit of material resource that I have uh, entirely upon myself, and then I will, as a result of that, completely miss the joy that is found and the opportunity that is found uh, in, in blessing, in giving, or in generosity. We know that giving is uh, more blessed than receiving. Receiving is a blessing, to be sure. You say, how in the world, I mean, who in the world in their right mind would say that giving is a greater blessing than receiving? Well, Jesus did. And uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus, uh, Paul quoting Jesus, and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Additionally, I think it's very important for us not to dismiss this subject of uh, generosity and uh, immediately think, well, that has nothing to do with me. Um, that's a message for the wealthy. Uh, or wealthier people. And of course, we always define wealthy people as people who have at least slightly more than we have um, in order to then 
uh, escape sometimes the demands of, of Scripture. And, uh, and so certainly uh, as God speaks here about the blessings and the joy of generosity, he doesn't intend uh, for that to be the blessing of some particular portion of the body of Christ alone, but he's speaking here broadly uh, related to all of our lives as Christians, whatever our financial status might be. In fact, statistically, in terms of proportion uh, to income uh, in, in our culture, the poor are uh, typically twice as uh, generous in charitable giving as those who are classified as uh, rich. I think it's important to notice too that in this passage, the amount of the gift is never mentioned. Paul never says how much they sent to them, however large or however small it might have been. And the reason that the amount of the gift is never mentioned is because the passage is not about the amount. It's about the principle of generosity, that each of us expresses uh, generosity as Christians on the level that we're able to. And uh, whether it's a dollar or whether it's a cup of coffee or uh, money for a tank of gas, or paying somebody's electric bill in need, or uh, a doctor's visit bill, a warm jacket, uh, a month's rent, books for college, on and on and on, the list can go, I merely just prime the pump. Additionally, Jesus is not addressing here supremely a Christian's giving to uh, the local church that they attend. Uh, He's talking about a church's generosity to him. And more broadly, he elaborates on the blessings of generosity in general, Uh, the blessing of our generosity to others on an individual level, whether it is towards uh, supporting missionaries in the body of Christ, as the Apostle Paul certainly was that, or whether we provide uh, a, uh, individually, we pro- provide material needs that we become aware of in the lives of others that are around us in the body of Christ and so forth. I want you to notice that first of all in verse 14, Paul tells us that to express generosity in giving to another is to do well. Uh, Generosity is commended from one end of the Bible to the other. For instance, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He who has pity on the poor uh, lends to the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. And then into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Uh, Jesus himself taught, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be, uh, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, there's an old saying that says we are never more like God than when we uh, forgive 
And I certainly have no argument with that, but I don't think we'd be wrong to speak of giving uh, in, in, uh, in, in this regard uh, as well, the virtue of giving, because both God the Father and Jesus uh, continually uh, exemplify the virtue of uh, generosity uh, out of their character, and certainly all of us are uh, uh, deep recipients of it. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was a very, very selfish church in uh, this regard, in terms of uh, uh, being generous uh, with others. And he wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, but as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, See that you abound in this grace as well. That is in the grace of giving. That's what he's talking about. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that uh, you through his poverty might become rich. And so Paul speaks to this church that was uh, the uh, 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 opposite of, of being generous, and he reminds them of how generous Christ had been uh, to them in order to dislodge them from their attitude. Of course, Jesus gave more than money in order to enrich us. He gave us his very life. The second thing that Paul instructs us related to generosity here is found equally in verse 10 and also verse 14. Their financial, and that is that uh, generosity is deeply appreciated. And so their uh, financial generosity to him uh, really blessed him. And when we give to the needs of others, it does several things all at once. And it, and it does all of them at the same time. First of all, it meets a material need in their life. And when a material need is met in a, a person's life, that introduces financial or material margins into their life that was not there immediately before uh, that gift was given to them. And always, when we're talking about uh, scant or non-existent margins, when somebody gives to another person, and those margins are, are enlarged, there is always produces a deep gratitude in the person that receives. Paul uses the word distress in, uh, in the verse 14 to describe the circumstances that he was under at the time that their gift came to him. And the word distress is a Greek word, it's the word thalipsis, and it speaks of a pressure that uh, is a suffocating pressure. Philipsis was the Greek word that was used if you wanted to get a confession out of a criminal, you would put him down on the ground, then you would put a plank upon his chest and put a gigantic boulder on his chest, so much so that as he exhaled, he would be unable to inhale. That's the kind of pressure that he would be under. That was Philipsis, and not all Philipsis is physical. And, uh, and, and Paul's was uh, not, his was the, the circumstances that he found himself in. 
And how wonderful some help is when life becomes a philipsis. And it has a way of becoming philipsis at times. And, and for many people, philipsis is um, their daily existence. And how helpful it is and wonderful when some help comes to such a person, not for them to pay off a boat or to buy a $400 pair of, uh, of tennis shoes, but pertaining to the necessities of life. For those that are like Paul, they're living for God uh, and for God's will in their lives, uh, whatever their position might be in life. As we saw last week, um, this, the giving always means more than even the material need being met in a person. It is an immediate um, emotional and mental encouragement. It communicates that somebody cares, that I am not in this alone, that somebody notices me and is concerned uh, for me. And that is very, very important and a great consequence of this kind of generosity. It also encourages a person's faith in, uh, in God as they experience God's care for them in this kind of surprising uh, way. Most often it is surprising as God works that way in caring for them and for us uh, through uh, other Christians. And so each of these things, absolutely priceless to the recipient. I mean, all of us have probably been, most of us anyway, been in a place where somebody blessed us materially that took a great weight off of us in some situation that was uh, pressing mightily upon us or allowed us to purchase something that we, we desperately uh, uh, needed. And so most of us understand that uh, the joy that it is to receive, but it's also a priceless cause of joy for the giver as well. I, I would contend that there are a few things in life that produce a comparable afterglow of having done the right thing in a human life than the afterglow that we experience as a result of an expression of generosity in our life toward another person uh, in, in their need. I don't think there's hardly any use of money in all of life that will produce a greater blessing and joy in our Christian lives than to use it to bless other people who are in, in need. The third thing that Paul lets us know here is that in verse 15 and 16, we learn that this kind of generosity or any generosity uh, is rare. Paul wrote that of all of the churches that he established, and he established a lot of churches, uh, only the church in Philippi supported him financially uh, as they had the opportunity to do so. And their giving to him began immediately. On his second missionary journey, he established a church in Philippi. He immediately then made his way to the city of Thessalonica. And, and no sooner did he get to the city of Thessalonica than a financial gift followed him from the church at Philippi to help meet his needs there as he would establish a church uh, 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 in, in the face of tremendous opposition and persecution, uh, not only in Philippi, but in uh, Thessalonica as well. 
I think it's heartbreaking, it, it is for me, heartbreaking to realize that here, that the Apostle Paul would, would have to write such a thing. Uh, here you have the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest apostle in, in the history of the church, certainly the greatest theologian in church history. He's a man who lived self-sacrificially through one missionary journey after another, after another. And, and uh, the man that God used to take the gospel into parts of the world, the Gentile world where it had never been taken before, so that people could then hear the gospel, the God's offer of salvation for the first time in their life, then stay in that church, most often uh, under the threat of persecution, so that a church could then be established. And then all of the stonings and the beatings and the persecution and the loneliness that marked uh, his, his ministry life, he had left obviously great position and probably great wealth and leaving his religious p- position uh, within Judaism in order to become a Christian and then to serve uh, the Lord. And here you have this man that God had used to change uh, innumerable uh, people in their hearing the gospel and becoming saved and through whom God uh, also uh, uh, supplied us with much of the New Testament and so forth. And yet he remained almost completely unsupported financially in his ministry except by the Philippians. And what they had received from the Apostle Paul, the attitude, the mature attitude toward money on the part of the church there in Philippi What they had received from the Apostle Paul, despite all of the persecution, all of the hardship that he endured in bringing the gospel to them and planting the church there, they wanted every other city that Paul could get to to experience the same thing. And so they gave toward it. We have a saying in our our culture, it's kind of a a pointed one, maybe even uh, crude, but we have a saying that says, Put your money where your mouth is. Now, why does a saying like that come to, into existence, let alone how, why does it become so well known that virtually everybody hears it at some time or a, another in life? It comes into being because of this great tendency to be great talkers and not to back it up with money. Or to talk a lot about money, and uh, and all, but then to never back uh, back that talk up. And so, this area of generosity in a Christian's life it remains all talk through the entirety of their Christian life, and it never ever turns uh, into um, uh, action. And so, they looked at it. And uh, they put their money where their mouth was. Unlike uh, the very, very selfish church in Corinth who had no mature attitude related to uh, finances or giving or generosity uh, at at all. And uh, they were all talk and uh, never any walk. The picture is even more heartbreaking than uh, what we see here. Because we learn in other passages in the New Testament that concerning uh, at least two churches, the church in Corinth that Paul established, the church in Thessalonica that Paul established, that he found it necessary 
to refuse any financial support uh, from them, from Christians. He would not take their money because of their attitude toward money. They would then accuse him of being in the ministry for the money. And so he would not take money from uh, those two churches. They were too carnal. Uh, It was too complicated to take a gift from them, too much baggage associated with their giving, too many strings attached to their uh, giving, as we talked about last week. And the Apostle Paul said, I won't uh, won't accept it with with that kind of an immature uh, uh, view of money as a Christian and as a church. The Church of Philippi, had a much more mature view uh, of giving. They recognized, and this is a wonderfully mature view of giving in an individual as well, uh, they had the recognition that life takes money, that uh, sustenance, uh, not living luxuriously, but just to live, that it takes uh, it, it takes money, and so uh, they gave it. They gave it out of a pure motivation, and because they did, Paul was willing to receive it. And it is a rare, mature, and uh, beautiful thing when it's found uh, in an individual as well as in a church. This also, in verse 15, brings up another mark of uh, spiritually mature view of generosity and giving. And that is to realize that it is a privilege to give. It is a privilege to be generous. First of all, because it means that we've received enough, uh, that we have extra, and and thus the margins to be able to give into the the needs of other people. And then uh, in order that it allows us uh, the greater blessing of giving Uh, as opposed to the blessing of receiving, as Jesus told us. It allows us to experience that great blessing. But that in accepting, and it it is a great blessing, and it is a great privilege to give, in that in accepting a gift from us, the recipient is saying that as a person, they trust us enough to receive the gift. They trust us enough to receive uh, the gift, that there won't be not manipulation involved in it, no strings uh, uh, attached to it, uh, that, that would be uh, undue. Again, Paul received gifts from the churches. He refused gifts from the churches in Corinth and Thessalonica, but he was blessed by the church in Philippi by receiving their gifts. So often we don't think of Uh, the blessing that is involved, the privilege that is involved in um, giving. We think of all of the privilege loaded entirely toward the recipient uh, of the material resources, but that uh, isn't the case. It's also our privilege to be allowed uh, to help in another person's life. I want you to notice fourth in verses 15 and 16. We learn here, that this kind of generosity requires keeping our eye open for a person who has needs, but who will never, ever make those needs known to any other person 
but God. And the church and the, and the Christians there in the church of Philippi, they understood that. They understood that about people's lives. They understood that whether this person says anything about their need or they don't, it takes money to live. It takes money to do what they're uh, wanting to do. It takes money for them to fulfill God's call upon their lives. And so with Paul, they didn't wait for Paul to make uh, his needs known to them. They knew that there would be needs and they addressed those needs preemptively. There is absolutely nothing wrong or unspiritual about making our needs known to uh, others. But we also have to stay awake in all of this to the fact that there is another group of people in the body of Christ who might be in need, but who, like the Apostle Paul, will never uh, make that need known. And so they trust in the Lord to meet those needs by um, answering prayer or by God putting on somebody's heart to be involved in, in giving toward a need uh, in their life, whether by prayer or by a word of knowledge, and just that sense that we can have that um, I'm supposed to financially uh, help this person out in this way. I don't know about the need. I don't uh, know the specifics of it, but that the Lord has put it uh, on my heart uh, to, uh, to do that. And, and it's kind of like when you have grown children, and some of them are always making their needs known to you. Uh, they have no hesitation at all there. And, and so you continually jump in to help them, and, but there are other children who never ask. They never ask for anything. And, uh, but they have uh, needs as well. And so it's left up to us as parents to recognize that needs exist in both groups and in both, uh, both children and type of, of children. We see this very, uh, uh, and to be generous to both of them. We see this kind of thing going on all the times in Christian ministries and Christian mission organizations. And so um, you, you have, it seems like every week or every month, a particular mission organization or organizations is sending you literature to let you and me know about all of their needs. There is no need that they don't uh, bring before their, uh, their donor base or whoever's on their uh, mailing list. And all of that's fine as long as we don't only respond to their needs but that we also then extend generosity to the missionaries and to Christian organizations that never make their needs known, but their needs are just as great. Organizations that are like Paul or individuals that are like Paul who are not comfortable in doing so between them and the Lord. If we wait for needs to be made known to us, uh, directly and verbally, as opposed to keeping our eye open for those kind of needs within the body of Christ and in our interactions with one another, we will just mistakenly assume that everyone's needs are being met because no one uh, is saying anything. And so to ask God in this regard, to ask God for discernment, 
and to ask God for revelation as well, and then to obey the promptings that He puts upon our hearts to become involved in whatever it, it might be. And we all grow in this, um, I think, as it relates to almost everything in the supernatural of, of the Christian life and in spiritual gifts. So often the Lord, as He's nurturing this this heart of generosity, endeavoring to make us a channel within his body uh, uh, through which to move resources to other, other people where he will prompt our heart uh, to say, give something to another person. And we think, oh, no, they don't need, and we, we, try, we just rationalize the whole thing and, and then we don't uh, do it. And then we find out later that there really was a need and then God met the need through someone else, and then we realize, oh, he was speaking to me, and then the prayer becomes, oh, great, man, I dodged a bullet there. I didn't have to give into that situation. Somebody else took care of it. Now, that's Corinth. That's not Philippi. When that happens in our lives, we look at it and say, Lord, I missed that one, and I ask that you would help me to recognize your nudgings and your voice in this area of my life uh, the, the next time. Fifth, we notice in verse seven, Paul lets us know that our generosity is noticed by God and that it is rewarded by God. And uh, here we clearly see that the Apostle Paul, he definitely appreciated the gifts given to him, but he was also grateful for what the giving produces in the giver. And so he writes to them, not that I seek the gift. And, and when he does that, he's communicating that he didn't write all of these uh, um, uh, encouragements, strong encouragements to generosity in our lives as Christians. He says, I didn't write these things to you and to the church at Corinth in order to prime the pump for another offering to come uh, from, uh, uh, from you. But simply, uh, he is uh, encouraging this generosity uh, in them uh, in order that fruit might abound to their account. That in their gen generosity, they would be on the blessing side of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And generosity is a part of, of that, uh, that treasure. And uh, Paul knew that one day generosity in our lives will then play its significant part. And one day hearing from the lips of Jesus himself, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into uh, the joy of the Lord. When Paul talks about this and he says, you know, it's, I, I, it's not the gift that you've given to me that is the most important thing to me, but that it is noticed by God and it's rewarded by God. He is not being hyper-spiritual. And, and, and so people can look at that with anyone in a position like his and, and think this is a self-serving thing that, that, that he is doing here. This is actually his attitude toward generosity and toward money. 
And it's one of the reasons that a person in need like the Apostle Paul that allows them to graciously and thankfully receive a gift from another person in the midst of their need with a knowledge that God notices it and that God will bless it, that they're doing a good thing as they're directed by the Holy Spirit and there's a well done at the end of a life that does the good things that God calls us to do. All giving, Paul said, is one day going to be rewarded by God. You notice he says, he speaks about to your account, telling us that when we give, no matter how secretly we give in terms of generosity, it's noticed by God. He uses the word abounding here, and that tells us that it will be richly rewarded, not only in this life, but in the life uh, to come. No Christian will ever outgive God in any area of our life, uh, including in this, uh, this area as well. God will not allow that uh, to happen. The sixth thing, and there's only 20, so just relax. In verse 18, uh, sixth, Paul informs us that our generosity, uh, not only uh, does it, God bless it, not only does he notice it, but our, our generosity blesses God. And that when we give to his servants, we give to his work, we give to his people under the prompting of, of the Holy Spirit, it pleases God. And Paul says it's like a sweet-smelling aroma of an acceptable sacrifice. It's a beautiful, when God sees this operate within his people or within an individual in their life, it's like a great fragrance uh, and he uses imagery Paul does from the Old Testament. Some of the uh, offerings were incense offerings in the Old Testament. This great fragrance would uh, be lifted up to God. Sometimes uh, sacrifices were the same, uh, the same way. And, uh, and so Paul said, uh, it's a lovely fragrance to God and it blesses him when he sees it. And here we have uh, the recognition and Paul's recognition that all generosity uh, represents sacrifice on some level. And God takes note of that sacrifice. And, and when it's done under the leading of His Holy Spirit, He recognizes it as being done as, uh, unto Him uh, as, as well. And, uh, and, and so uh, you have any time anything is given to us, there's the recognition uh, that this person that has given this to me, they could have spent it some other way. They could have spent it on some uh, other thing, but they chose to bless God uh, with it. They chose to bless me, bless his servants, bless his people. And I think it's wonderful to realize how far-reaching the blessing of generosity is. We can tend to think of it as being solely a blessing to the recipient, but it isn't. It's a blessing to the recipient for sure, but it is also a blessing to the giver and also a blessing to God who witnesses uh, all of that when it takes place. And seventh and finally in verse 19, Paul declares God's uh, promise to givers or God's promise to uh, the generous. And so he declares there, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ 
Jesus. It's important, and if you've ever been in this passage, everybody says it, but everybody says it because it needs to be said. This is not a promise, God does not, not promise, and God shall supply all of your greeds or all of our wants, but all of our needs, and it's important to realize that, that he, he, doesn't, he isn't failing in this promise when I don't uh, get that yacht or something else that I have put in the need category in my life, and uh, I would never put a yacht in a need category in my life. I don't like water that much, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but to, to meet our needs. We do want to notice as well uh, that the, uh, the context of this wonderful promise that is made here is, uh, toward, uh, is the generosity toward the needs of others. Now, the Bible speaks of God's faithfulness to supply our needs as Christians, um, whether we are generous or we are not generous. That's, that's in the Bible. Uh, the, the criteria for that is seeking first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. Jesus said, all these things will be added uh, unto you. Let me quote the passage in its entirety in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? After all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So there's this broader promise. I think that what's happening here in verse 19, this promise is meant to be claimed by those who are generous toward the needs uh, of, of others. The distinction being this. God... God promises to supply our needs as Christians. Here you have a, a supplemental and a larger promise to the generous person that he will not only supply that person's needs, but then also supply them uh, adequately in order that they might then uh, help meet the needs uh, of other people as well, to be generous uh, toward the needs of others. In large part, what God is saying here is that he will never ever let a uh, generous Christian go under. He will always keep uh, that kind of a person well supplied, related to their own needs, but then with enough to also see and be able to be generous related to the needs uh, of others on God's behalf. And if a person chooses to be a, a channel of God's blessing in this way through generosity to those in need, uh, they're going to be, uh, need to be well supplied in the same way that if you have a water pipe that takes water from this location to this location, the water can't go from this location to this location without the pipe also being well watered as well. So if you have God at this end of the pipe and the need at this end of the pipe, what is in between is always going to uh, be well taken care of. The book of Proverbs speaks to this pointedly. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And so this is another part of what excited the Apostle Paul about 
the generosity of the Christians in, in, um, in Philippi. Um, not merely that God noticed it and it was a blessing to God, a blessing to him in, in uh, receiving it, but his recognition that when a person uh, has this, uh, this aspect of the Christian life operating in their life, Paul knows, I know you will never run dry. God is always going to supply for that kind of, uh, of a heart uh, for others because it is the very, very heart uh, of, of God. And so Paul is careful to declare that God will supply these needs. And you notice, not out of his riches in glory, but according to his riches in glory. In other words, when he gives and he channels things through a, a human instrument, God is nevertheless materially for having done that. Uh, he has everything and can make anything that, 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 he, uh, that, he, uh, that he wants to. And so he, he is never at a loss as a result uh, of that. But here is a giving according to his riches and glory in a way that befits his wealth. In other words, God's challenge that he faces, what he's saying here is God's challenge concerning uh, his, uh, the expression of his own generosity and the limitation is never upon his resources, but that it is always upon finding human channels through which to channel those resources. And that's the, that's the glitch and that's the, the difficult area. And so the strong encouragement to this kind uh, of a life and this mark of the Christian, Christian life. And so we finish the book of Philippians here and a series that we entitled Rejoice, a, a study in the book of Philippians and uh, it was supposed to be our winter of joy, but we nudged up into spring uh, as well. And uh, he closes it on this very, very important uh, subject. And so if the ushers will just lock all the doors, we'll take an offering. And um, people get very, very guarded when you talk about money. Sometimes because of our own carnality and our own selfishness. Sometimes we have just been so manipulated and so milked and so taken advantage of by people trying, even in the body of Christ, to separate us from our money, not under the leading of the Holy Spirit, but through their manipulative, manipulative devices. And so our guard, our guard goes up naturally. It goes up. And, and so... Today here, as we look at this, it's the final passage in the book of Philippians. And so we teach it. And the importance of this aspect of generosity. And the Apostle Paul trusted that he could speak with this kind of spiritual maturity to this church and to these Christians in a way that he didn't always feel safe to declare to other people because they had a mature view of money and they had a mature view of generosity and giving. And so Paul assumes the same thing of us, 
that we are, as we are in this room, we are eager for every area of our life to be like Christ and, uh, and for us to experience every aspect of his life and to recognize that money is a tool. It is a necessity and that God, uh, God uses this generosity to do important things within the body of Christ. And it's one of the ways that he supernaturally, naturally meets the needs of his people, whether in, within a local body or worldwide. And so this entire sermon, if you were, had your hand on your purse or your wallet waiting to get hit at the end of it, would never do that to you. Uh, we address it with the same maturity and spirituality that the Apostle Paul had. And I know you have the same maturity and ability to speak to these things in this way. I have that freedom with you uh, to do so in the same way that Paul felt related to this church in Philippi. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we see it in your word. We see it in your character. Jesus, we see it in your character and in your teaching. And this situation, as you look at our lives and the uniqueness of our lives in terms of resources, in terms of uh, history related to finances, even related to the body uh, of Christ, we put all of that aside and we recognize that this is to be like you and we do want to be channels under the direction of your Holy Spirit again in the uniqueness of our lives and how you want to operate something like that through our lives we pray that you would take us into the beauty um, into the peace into the joy into the blessing Lord of a generous life and we pray that you use this passage to encourage it even as the Apostle Paul desired to do by your Holy Spirit. And we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.